Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jacob Turner. So Jacob is the founder of JL Strategic Wealth, which is an advisory company which helps clients focus on navigating through sudden wealth. Before that, he was the ninth overall draft pick in the MLB draft, where he played 11 years professionally. Having received a bumper contract at age 18 himself, he tries to help young athletes navigate through the wealth which they receive by having massive contracts at a young age. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Jacob onto the show. So Jacob, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I appreciate it, Matt. I'm excited for our conversation today. Same. This is a, this is a really interesting one. So uh, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, so I am a former professional baseball player. I was the ninth overall draft pick in the 2009 Major League Baseball draft. I played up until 2019, and when I got done playing in 2019, I started a wealth management firm that focuses on helping people navigate sudden wealth. So that's that's a mad situation, right? Like you get a, a young age, you get a ridiculous contract, and now you can help people to kind of do the same, go through that same process as you did, but maybe with a little bit more assistance. Um, when when you're there, you're what, young, you've got no little life experience, and you get all that money, like, what does that do to you immediately? Like, what, what are the, the initial temptations for those people or for, for yourself back then? Yeah, the, the easiest temptation is a car, right? Everybody wants to buy a new car. Like, what's, what's the six-figure car that I can go out and buy? I think the biggest thing for folks that we help and then also folks that I've seen in my own life is just making sure you slow down, take it in, take bite-sized chunks, learn along the way. But certainly the biggest uh, draw for most guys is a car. And would you recommend getting a car as a first uh, port of call? Or is that like, a, okay, you can have your car, but you need to do other stuff? I recommend people get reward purchases. And the way I kind of categorize it is there's reward purchases, which are one time, like, hey, I did something really cool. I've worked really hard to get to this point. You should reward yourself, right? But making sure they understand that, hey, there's also a difference between buying you know, an $80,000 US car versus $150,000 US car and all the expenses that come with that. Yeah, understandable, understandable. So when when you look back at that, um, look back at that first stage, what was that like for you? Can you take us through that kind of, that, that story of maybe the first year or so of you you getting that bumper contract? Yeah, so I signed when I was 18 years old, right out of high school. I was really fortunate to get drafted where I did. The team paid me uh, $5.5 million. So within 30 days, I was getting a couple million dollars in my bank account. And, you know, I mean, it's a, it's an acceleration of everything in your life. All my friends are off at college, uh, becoming, you know, they're rushing to be in, uh, all these different fraternities. And here I am playing professional baseball and really having to grow up really fast, but I wouldn't trade anything that I did. Um, you know, it was a great experience. It allowed me to learn a lot on the way. And I think, you know, for me, Matt, a lot of that acceleration has helped build me into the person that I am today. I can imagine. And I think you have to grow up very quickly, of course. But what are then the, the downsides to having that money? The plus sides are obvious, right? Car, house, all the fun stuff. But like, what, what are the downsides to getting that huge amount of cash in a really young phase of your life? I think the biggest downside is just the anxiety it can bring on. It's the unknown, right? I'm 18 years old. I don't really know what questions to ask. I'm not sure what decisions to make. I haven't been down this path before. 
yet I'm watching ESPN 30 for 30 on broke and watching all these athletes that have blown, you know, huge sums of money. And all I'm thinking is I just don't want to be on that when I'm done. Playing. <laughs> the one, the one goal of your career, right? Don't, don't be on that program. Yeah. And like when, when you get that amount of money, obviously you, there are downsides, but how do you start to mitigate those downsides? Like how do you, yeah. How do you start to deal with those things? The best way that I did it was just to help start building that team of people around me. You know, like anything that we do in life, we need to have that support system. We need to have people that have walked the path before us. We need to have people that are truly giving advice that is specific to you and that is helpful for you. Now, I think the challenge in that is whenever there's money involved with anything, you know, everybody kind of comes out of the woodworks and thinks that they can give you great advice. So the best way that I did it was just asking good questions, helping to slowly build that team of people around me. But also being really quick to take people off that team if I feel like they weren't giving the advice that I needed. And you, you say it's a team, right? So who, who's on your team? Like, what, what what are you talking about? Like 10 accountants? Are you talking about financial advisors? How does that look? Yeah. So for me, what my team looked like is it started with my agent, right? So my agent helped me negotiate the contract from a legal side, make sure that I'm protected. And then, you know, the next step was me for was hiring an advising team that really helped me on the financial side. And then really the ancillary pieces around them, you know, you think about your CPA, making sure that you're trying to mitigate your tax consequences. You know, you would have somebody on the insurance side to make sure you're mitigating any liability coverages that you might, you know, incur in the future. You have somebody on the estate planning side that's helping you, even as an 18-year-old, try to figure out, well, what kind of legacy would you want to leave if something were to happen to you today? And I think making sure that you're bringing all those people together uh, was one of the biggest challenges and things that I think was the most rewarding for me in the process. I think that's a, a really interesting insight into all the different people that can be involved in that, right? So when you look at that team, how do you piece them together? Like, because it, it sounds really easy when you've got that team around you, like, oh, I'll go to that person for advice, right? Like, that sounds really obvious. But if you're an 18 year old, and you've got maybe an agent who tells you roughly what should be happening. Like, how do you piece together that, that team around you? Yeah, for me, it was asking a lot of questions. But frankly, Matt, I didn't have a great way to do it because I had never walked the path. There was nobody in my family that had walked this path before. There was no conference I could go to and talk to 100 other families that have walked this path before. And I think even for me now today, I look at, you know, in our business, one of the biggest values I feel like we add is just helping to build that team of people around them. Because it is such a challenge, right? Like it's, it was hard for me to find an agent. Then it's hard to find an advisor. Then it's hard to find a CPA. And a lot of times you don't really know the quality of work they're doing until maybe 6, 12, 18 months down the road. And how do you then find the good ones? So like if you don't know that they're, they're good until maybe a, a year potentially later, how do you select that person? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is is asking questions. A lot of it is relying on people that you know are trustworthy people in your own life. For me, I relied a lot on family to help me figure out, hey, who do you use or who should I use or who have you talked to that that might be good? And you know, my agent helped a little bit with that. But at the end of the day, there's this combination of somebody that has the strategic expertise to be able to help you but also has a personality fit that you want to have those conversations with, right? Like we're your advisory team typically knows more about you than everybody, but maybe your significant other. So you don't want to be picking up the phone and being like, man, I just do not want to call this guy and talk about X, Y, Z issue. Yeah, I can imagine. And when you, when you look back at that time, right? Like 
how did that huge influx of money affect your psychology? Because there's going to be kids who maybe even at younger ages, uh, 15, 16, are getting these huge sponsorship deals. And all of a sudden, they've got to deal with like the, the pressure that comes with being a kid who's worth millions, right? Like, if you're, if you're 18, you're technically an adult, but there, there are 14, 15-year-olds with sponsorship deals with, with big organizations. So how do you deal with the pressure and the, the psychological changes that money of that magnitude brings? Yeah, well, I, I kind of break it down into two sections, Matt. So there's like the personal side that it brings, and then there's the per- professional side. So on the professional side, you know, you're having this additional pressure of whatever team, you know, you're playing for organization, all this information is public information. So, you know, if, you, if you're a, a soccer player or a football player, as you guys would call them, and you sign for a lot of money, you know, the team is expecting results. The fans are expecting results. And, you know, in the world that we live in today, everybody's so accessible. So there's pressure there. On the personal side, I think there's there's pressure and anxiety from the notion of, one, I, I don't want to blow it. Two, maybe I have some people around me that are telling me that I should do this or do that. But, you know, is that benefiting them or is that benefiting me? And then from a psychology standpoint, I think the, the hardest challenge for people on the personal side is just to make sure you remember who you are, right? Money, money should never change you as a person. It should only amplify who you are as a person. But at the same time, you're kind of living in this world that's not reality. So being able to keep your feet on the ground and understand that like, hey, what I'm doing today is not reality and I'm not going to be doing this in 15 or 20 years. I think that's the biggest challenge for people when they come into a significant amount of money is it's just the psychology around it. You know, you you can technically afford everything or you can technically buy everything, but could you afford that in a lifestyle moving forward? I think that's that's the interesting one as well, right? When you look at that that lifespan of, let's say you're going to live to your 80, 90, 100 years old. Well, all of a sudden, when you spread that, that 5 million or whatever it is out over that entire lifetime, that might not get you there. Um, you still do have to work maybe one day. Like It's not just uh, instantly uh, sorted, life, life's easy now, especially if you're going to go buy those expensive cars. So when, when you want to keep athletes grounded, obviously, you're probably going to look to coaches and partners and peers. Like If they see someone getting carried away and potentially starting to blow their money on stuff that they shouldn't be doing or maybe is better invested in other places, like how can they help that individual to, to realize their decision-making? Yeah. The, the best way that I think is, is helpful is, is storytelling, right? You know, a lot of times people don't want to hear some tax strategy because it's, it's boring, right? It's like, I don't want to hear like what tax or insurance strategy, but when you tell stories about, Hey, you know, X, Y, Z person had a similar situation happen to you and here's where they turned out because of the decisions they made is really interesting. And, and one thing that I recommend too is there's a, actually a book by Morgan Housel called Psychology of Money, which is my favorite personal finance book. And all it is is a combination of stories about people that have all come into somewhat significant amounts of money and how they handled that process. So I think it's really interesting. But I think the, the other factor that I would add is you really need to have somebody on your team that is what I would call the no man which means that when everybody comes to you and they say, hey, Jacob, I got this great idea or I got this great venture that you should talk to, you don't want to be the bad guy. You need somebody on the team that you can send them to that you can say, hey, you know, you know, XYZ person handles that for me, give them a call. And then when they call, you know, now me in that situation, I'm able to say, hey, you know, based on what we're trying to do, it doesn't really fit into the overall plan, but I really appreciate you bringing it to me. So then they can still keep those friendships and I can be the bad guy. 
I think that's really clever. That's some awesome advice. And maybe it can be translated as well into other parts of, of the world, right? Like, not that you should employ someone to say all, all the no's all the time. You should say that for yourself. But like, I can imagine in, in some kind of uh, contract negotiations, for example, that the agent stepping in and saying, hey, wait, we need to make sure that you're you're doing A, B, and C here. That That's not going to work. That can be a really strong backup, right? Like you don't have to, to fight all those battles yourself. So I think that's some, some really interesting advice. Um, when you, when you look at young athletes and they, they have obviously this huge influx in wealth, like how do they ensure that that doesn't affect their mental health, right? Like, cause it can affect their mental health, which is way worse than performance. We can touch on performance too, but like that's going to get in your head, right? Like how does, how do you stop that from impacting your entire life negatively? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing to understand is that, you know, money, money should not change you. It's hard to understand that at 18 years old when you're, you know, coming into significant money. But from a mental health standpoint, you know, the things that are going to make you the, the happiest in life are things that typically you're not going to buy. They're relationships you have, they're experiences that you're going to have. And I know a lot of people would say, oh, well, it's easy for Jacob to say that because, you know, he came into this money. But I can tell you, I've been in clubhouses with guys making $20 million a year that are between you and I, some of the most miserable people on the planet. And, you know, you see that. And when you see that, it's like this eye opening, like, oh, wow. Like, so he has everything that I think I want and he's still miserable. And I think for, for young players and for people in, in any space that are, are coming into significant money, it's understanding what really brings them joy in life and focusing on those things and some number in your bank account, you know, it can reduce stress in your daily life. If you can pay your bills, there's no doubt about that. But I think there is a, a plateau you get to that, you know, true joy and happiness outside of reducing stress is different um, for each person, but money is not going to bring it. And more money is certainly not going to bring it, but relationships and the things that you get to do in your life are going to bring it. And how much money do you think that then someone needs to, to reduce that stress level without getting to the, the I need more and more level? Is there, is there like a figure that you think, ah, you know what, if you're earning a million a year, you're probably all right, mate? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually have a uh, something I'm putting together on, on this topic um, between money and happiness. And I actually am phrasing it that money can make you happy because there is some studies that show that money to a certain level can reduce stress, can reduce anxiety, can make you better from a day-to-day perspective. But that plateau is, is there's actually a Princeton study on it that I think inflation adjusted for today is around 100,000 US dollars per year. Now, obviously, that's going to depend on a lot of other factors that come into play there. And then that's really that emotional well-being. And then there's the other factor of like lifestyle. Now, I don't think anybody would argue that if you were making a million dollars a year, that your lifestyle couldn't be better than somebody making $100,000 a year. But I think part of that is that's kind of how you perceive it in your mind. People buy things not because they think that car is cool. They buy things because they want other people to think that they're cool because they're driving around the car. Um, Three months after buying that car, it's going to feel like most other cars, right? So I think the study would say that around $100,000. But what I would say is the minute that you can pay your bills without feeling stressed about it, that is a huge unlock in your life. And I think Above that, there's definitely incremental increase. I don't think I'm not somebody that says like, hey, if you make a million dollars, like you're going to be just as happy if you made a hundred thousand because your lifestyle is going to be significantly different. But I do think there's this frame of mind that you have to remember that more money is not always going to make you happier. 
I think that's uh, that's some fantastic advice. And just before we finish up, I want to ask you what your your top tips would be for your yourself, right? If you look back at that situation when you were 18 years old and you got that huge contract, what would you tell yourself in terms of advice to do with that money, right? Like, w- would it be, I imagine, not cocaine or strippers, right? Like, it would be like <laughs> be kind of sound investments. But what what would be the piece of advice you give yourself? Yeah, two things. One would be to give it direction, right? It, like anything in life, if, if we're working out and we walk into the gym and we have no direction on where we're going to go, maybe we walk over to this machine or we walk over to that machine. But the minute you put that plan in front of you and you're like, okay, I'm going to spend three sets over here and then four sets over here, that direction becomes clear. And I think a lot of people fail to do that in their personal financial lives. We should be giving direction to our money the same way that we would give direction to anything else in our life. So that would be one and then I, I think the second aspect is just making sure that you understand that you should be diversifying those assets. You know, you don't need to hit another home run. I compare it that, you know, and it's a baseball analogy, but you just need to hit singles and doubles. Okay. And if you hit singles and doubles over a long period of time in a very diversified manner, you can withstand and really build that generational wealth. I think a lot of people fall into the trap of they hit a home run, whether it's in their business, whether it's a contract, whether it's a family situation. And they're so gravitated towards wanting to hit the next home run that you could potentially lose it all. You don't need to hit another home run. So those would be the two things that I would say, Matt. I think that's some some really interesting advice that potentially you don't have to keep earning five million a, a year or ten years or whatever. Like you can just keep it ticking over, and that's enough for that person to to live happily from. Um, so Jacob, massive thanks for your time and effort. I really appreciate it. And it's been a really interesting insight into to what happens when you get such a, a, a huge amount of money. Um, so hopefully you've been able to help some athletes today. Uh, hopefully we've got some millionaire listeners. I hope it for them. Um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully you've been able to help some athletes with, uh, with thinking about their finances in the long-term future. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it, Matt. I enjoyed the conversation and thanks for having me on. Thank you very much, buddy. Cheers. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Jacob for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more information on sports science, get yourself in there completely for free using the link in the show notes. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, a friend, or an athlete. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me, I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.